Hello, welcome to the High Hops Podcast with your host, Bradley White. With me, as always, Lupalin Guru. Is that why you were asking me what that word was? Phoebe Ward. <laughs> now, Phoebe, mm. hops and all the other components of beer are very important in the beer making process. However, I know absolutely nothing about them. <laughs> so, you came up with the idea of putting together a series about the key components in beer mm. what what are they what factors come in, do they do they have on the beer making process and how do they what, what does that look like so we're going to do a series where we take an individual element of beer making and we're going to sort of talk to an expert about it so phoebe what are we doing this week so we're kind of going straight in with uh you know the, probably the most exciting of the four main ingredients of beer, mm-hmm. and that is hops. So we have spoken to Luke of Yakima Chief. Mm. To, yeah, and we get talking about hops, um, and it's awesome. Have fun hearing Phoebe try and say lupulin the entire time. Lupulin. Lupulin, and also me pretending like I know anything about hops. <laughs> so without further ado, we'll go straight into the episode. My name is Luke Holstein. I am the European Marketing Manager for Yakima Chief Hops. So YCH, we are, we're one of the, the world's biggest American hop producers. Um, we're quite different from a lot of others because we're actually, we're a, a grower owned cooperative. Um, so rather than being hop merchants, which is the, the traditional model, we are actually, we're the farmers. Um, and and yeah, we, we grow bale produce and sell everything through our own network. We're spread out over three states. Um, so primarily we're in the, the Yakima Valley in, in Washington state. There we've also got uh, farms in Oregon and also in Idaho as well. Quite diverse. And obviously, as we can tell, you're not American. So do you want to tell us how you, you fell into this this world? Yeah, I, I am not. Um, yeah, so we're, we've got a bit of a sales team and a, and a bit of a team kind of right the way across the world at the moment. Um, We've got some guys in South America, we've got some guys in Asia, and we've got our European team, uh, which is primarily based in uh, in Belgium as well. So we've got our, our main kind of big coastal warehouse and everything like that. Most of the deliveries come out there. Um, but then we've got a, a small team in the UK as well, which is our, we've got our VP of sales, we've got our UK team, and we've got uh, me on the marketing side. Cool. Oh. I think one of the questions that we had was how uh, the distribution kind of happens um like how because obviously the, the actual hops are growing in uh in america um <laughs> so how do they get over here how do they get to their kind of cold stores wherever in the yeah absolutely world? so we're actually we're right into that conversation at the moment because we've just hit the end of our harvest period mm. um we're doing the last little bits and pieces at the moment um so everything yeah it's harvested through kind of late August through September, right into the beginning of October, depending on uh, the variety in which is the the optimum picking window. Um, then we we bale and kiln and pelletize everything ourselves. Um, everything goes into our, our big cold store warehouse in Yakima in Sunnyside. Um, then for the European market, so the crop 20 hops will be hitting Europe in very end of december but really january um everything comes over in in reefer containers as well it stays cold right the way through um 
like I said, we've got our, our big kind of state-of-the-art coastal warehouse being built in Belgium at the moment. Um, we're using a we're using a third-party cold store at the moment. It's a primarily like food logistics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an incredible facility, but we're building something to mirror what we've got in the states. Um, and then yeah, we we ship everything from Belgium. Again, we everything if it's if it's in the summer months, everything goes cold. Uh, if it's in the winter months, it's cold outside. Mm. So um, so yeah, and we 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 basically try and get everything out as quickly as we physically can do because the 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 longer time it's out of our cold store and out of a brewery's cold store the worse for everyone mm. speaking of uh, we have defrosted ours uh, <laughs> this morning and you so kindly sent us some samples so i think we should probably start cracking them open we've never done this before so we're super excited um <laughs> so i wanted there was one before we cracked them open yes. there was one question i wanted to ask did you want to just mm-hmm. you, there's a variety in terms of when people buy hops, they can come in different forms. Yep. It can be just the hop. It can be, like you said, we've mentioned pellets. Um, do you want to just give a sort of brief overview of like the different forms and like what they offer? Why would why would a brewer go for one over the other? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, going going to completely like fresh hops. Some people call them wet hops or green hops. Um, basically, directly from the the vines. Um, they're used usually within about 48 hours they're they're into the brewing process so we've actually we've got a great tradition of that in the uk because of the the kentish hop fields and things like that in america pretty much outside of the pacific northwest it's not really a huge thing um then whole cone hops are probably what most people are, are familiar with certainly for homebrew perspective and things like that that's the dried kilned pressed kind of cut directly from the bales um then us and and most of the other larger producers um we produce type 90 pellets which are that's what we've got to to sample here and they're what most commercial breweries will use um they're just they're easier to they're easier to handle they're easier to process um you don't have as much green matter as well not so much bract in there so you get a better kind of a better result in the beer and um then we've also on a couple of the the varieties that I sent you, we've got our cryo hops pellets as well, which is a process that our our scientists uh, came up with a few years back, and that's basically it's a super super concentrated hop pellet. So um, I can I'll go into that a little bit later, but it's, it's basically okay. it's the it's the the concentrated lupulin. Yeah. Which is that's the good stuff. Yeah, the good, the good oily <laughs> stuff. That's what we like. Um, cool. So I think so. It's the Simcoe pellets that we're opening first. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So we'll start off with the the Simcoe Type Nineties. Cool. Um, now, I annoyingly is... just read the packet, so I kind of wanted to leave it as a surprise as what we can like smell and like kind of make up our own own minds. So I guess I'll be looking at you for this, Bradley. Okay. <laughs> what the what it says on the packet is the the general kind of the median of everything so every every lot is slightly different and some lots you'll get a lot more kind of tropical fruit some lots you'll get a little bit of that kind of that sharp cattiness in there as well but it's all it's all different and it's all subjective as well which is a huge point wow that's already (laughs) Woo! i've been i've been learning this because i've been trying to write down like the characteristics of each hop and it's different 
depending on who's talking. So would you, would you, these, these bags, are these usually just for sending it out to breweries that are interested in um, getting more? Are these just t like tasters or can you buy these kind of small packets online for homebrewers? Uh, so you can't buy them online for homebrewers in Europe yet, but you will be able to uh, hopefully next year. Okay. Um, these are, these are our homebrew packs. Exactly that. Um, they are, they're available in the States and, and yeah, it's something we are, moving into in in europe a little bit further down the line um mm -hmm. but yeah as, as well as that there we use them as our as our sample packs for for smaller breweries as well cool uh so you reckon like only a couple of these in the actual grinder you won't yeah you won't need yeah. a huge amount in the grinder themselves cool um immediately i just recognize this kind of simcoe scent like it's, it's so nice yeah it's a lovely like I'm smelling like lemony. So the three hops that I sent, they're mm. all they're all very different. Yeah. Okay. As well, so um, gives a, a little bit of a spread across yeah. across what we do. Mm. Um, Simcoe's Simcoe's a fairly old variety as far as modern modern hops go. So Simcoe was released in two thousand and twenty uh, in two thousand. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and was probably ten to fifteen years worth of development work before that point as well. Um. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a big, big kind of aroma hop that mm. was kind of one of the ones in there with like Cascade and Centennial and things like that, that kind of really helped push the, the craft beer scene forwards mm. as well. It's also a hop that's quite widely used by some of the big uh, influential breweries in the UK mm -hmm. as well. Um, Brewdog are a, a huge fan of Simcoe and um, if you get a little bit of the, the Brewdog vibe from bees, it's because it's our Simcoe that they use. Right, okay. Ah, cool. When when you're sort of, I guess, with Simcoe and things, do you still push it further? Like, do you, are you able to refine that even further? Or do you kind of get to a point and go, okay, we've we've found what works and we're not going to try and change it? Well, I mean, it's, hops are, they're a living, a living product. So each year, environmental factors will have a, a certain... A certain factor into into how hops are tasting and how they're smelling, mm. um, but it's it's kind of the the genetic purity of the of the hop itself of the the parent vines is is really important. Yeah. So there will there will always be some seasonality to it, um, depending on how much rainfall there is, how much heat there is at certain points in the in the growing cycle, um, and they'll they'll have an effect. But there's also kind of I, I referenced lots earlier which is the the specific kind of part of the hop fields that it's come from as well and the, the specific baling of them and every lot will be slightly different okay as well so um we have uh we have some of our brewery customers who come and they they do selection on specific lots mm. as well because there's a very specific thing that they're looking for in their simcoe or in their citra um and like i said everyone's everyone's taste is subjective Mm. So if there's if there's something that a particular brewer really, really wants, um, then they can go through the selection process and make sure that that's exactly what they're getting. So everyone everyone has their perfect Simcoe. So Bradley, what can you can you smell a difference between the packet and the grind? Oh, hang on, let me do the two yeah. of them together. I can smell, I mean, I read it, so um, I can smell more of like the bubble gummy aroma in the bag. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, now you're like, oh, different scent. I'm still getting that kind of it's tropical as yeah. hell. It's so it's pungent. 
pungent. Very pungent. Um, what I do appreciate on the packaging is that it also tells you, you know, the how the percentage of the alpha acids as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one's a 12.8%. What's an alpha acid for people like me that don't know what that means? Um, it's, hang on. Yeah, he's watching. I was going <laughs> to say, it's what is, like the hop produces the alpha acids in the lupin? In the lupulin. Lupulin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I know. <laughs> Do you want to <laughs> go into it a bit further? So al- alpha acids, it's the bittering potential is the, is the most important thing. The alpha acids uh, gives you uh, the IBUs in your final beer. I see. Okay, so this one, what you said, 12, 12.8%. 12.8%. Oh, and our other ones go up higher. Okay, interesting. Don't say, shush. That's fine, I didn't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did kind of get a bit of pine in there. Yeah, so Simcoe, Simcoe's a great, it's a dual purpose hop as well, which is is one of the big things of it as well. It's it's powerful enough to do your bittering additions and it's got all the aroma that you need as well. Mm. So it can be yeah. used right the way through the bottle. Um, there's... Some hops work perfectly to create those single hop beers, and for me, Simcoe is one of them. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I would definitely say that. Um, I don't know if we've had Simcoe in a while, you know? No, I think... I haven't seen it for a bit. I don't feel... I don't know. We're probably not drinking Well, we've had a brew dog, then apparently we, we definitely have. <laughs> <laughs> true. Okay, that's very true. <laughs> cool. Um, anything more that we can say about um, the pellet form of Simcoe? So it's... I mean, it's... The, the pellet pelletization is, is fairly standard so it's kind of it's a it's just a process of of concentrating everything it's mm. it's removing a proportion of the leaf matter and things like that and, mm. and getting everything uniform like these these type 90 pellets they're just they're perfect to use in a brew house basically they break up perfectly they whirlpool and everything like that goes goes really well um if you want to talk about the next step of it though um you guys yep. have got some cryo hops pellets. We yes, do. we do. Let's crack it. Um, is As there well. anything I should do to like refresh this, or should we just go for it? Just... Uh, you'll be okay because it's yeah. the it's the same variety, cool. and there's there's a small enough amount in the grinder as well. Cool. Um, so I'm not sure, Phoebe, if we've got enough jugs to be doing what putting them all in these little. That's fine. We work. We'll just work to warn with you. it. It's cool. <laughs> I can always put them back in. Okay, so we are opening the uh, cryo version of Simcoe. Mm-hmm. Smell. This one doesn't smell quite as strong. Oh yeah, it's immediately. Yeah, it's not like you didn't. You know, you know those um chicken snacks <laughs> that you can get the fridge bites when you open them. It goes. Poof. I think it's I was, the same with the pellet. I was also <laughs> expecting. Um, I think because they were crying for some reason, I just expected it to be a different shape. But they. Yeah, I did. Straight out of the packet, look very much like the the regular ones. Mm, I was expecting flakes. I don't know why. Yeah, so. Kind of in the very early stages of uh, cryo hops, cryo hops was a, a pure lupulin powder mm. um, because lupulin, effectively, with the process, it is a it comes out as a powder. So it's just these days we we compress it in the same way that we compress our type ninety pellets. Um, it's it's easier to use in the brew house. Mm. Um, the big the big thing with cryo hops, kind of the primary difference is the, the leaf matter is gone, so there's no bract in this. Um, it's the pure concentrated lupulin, mm-hmm. which means that well, you can probably feel the difference in can, how, yeah. how much stickier it is it's comparatively to the type 90s. Moist is the word. Yeah. I know people don't yeah. like that word, but I said it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, it you is. can tell as well. It's like um, it's slightly darker in shade as well. Yeah. And compact. Because the, the, the lupulins, lupulins themselves, it's it's orangey yellow in, in with the green as well. So you take out the, the pure green leaf matter. Right. Um, but it basically it means that 
you get just get much more impactful mm. beer um and a brewery can use less of it to to make that impact as well so a brewery gets less losses um yeah so more final beer and more hop aroma in for the amount they have to use so but would i guess because they're crying would they be more expensive to buy but essentially your yield or the amount you're able to produce of them might be higher yeah, so cryo hops are more expensive, but you need to use half of them, right, like half okay. the quantity of cryo hops yeah. uh, against type 90s, and you get more than the equivalent aroma out of them. Yeah, I mean, just so on the packet, you know, it's almost almost double the bitterness yeah. from the same amount. Yeah, more concentrated. I can't say it. <laughs> Loop. Oh, you got a kitty. Sorry. <laughs> Distracted by a cat. We've locked ours away because... Uh, I've, she ambushes the podcast. She does, and also I read that these may be poisonous to cats. So yeah, it's not the <laughs> not the perfect thing. No. <laughs> no. So he's, I thought he's, he's hiding from my son at the moment. So oh, that's, that's fine. Yeah, right. I can't quite get over how easy it is to grind these. It's a lot finer. Fluffier, the, right? It, the, fluffier uh, is what I always say with with cryo pellets. Oh, yeah. The smell has come right out as well. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, like the original one's way more flaky. Yeah, because of the math. And then this one, it's kind of clumped together. Smell it. It's just come out way more. It's like we've activated it. So me not knowing anything about brewing, would you typically grind it before you add it into your your beer? Or could you just inject it as a pellet? Yeah, you don't need to in in beer because the moment it's it's in liquid contact, the pellets, they come apart anyway. Um, And certainly if you're like in a whirlpool, anything where you've got the the agitation as well um the grinder basically just allows us to do that that same thing without having to put them into into liquid let's do a couple more questions before we move on to the next hop unless you've got anything more to say on simcoe and this particular batch i mean other than other than simcoe is a is a personal favorite oh, yeah. um <laughs> there's a reason i've basically i've sent you guys hops that i really like um just to to make the afternoon a little bit more fun, uh, but also things that are completely different. Yeah, because we want a bit of variety. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the actual growing process, mm-hmm. it actually takes a really long time for hops to grow. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're when we're planning the growing season, it's it's more than a year basically to understand what we have to plant, where we need to plant it. Um, but it's a it's it's an annual cycle as well. So we are. We know what we're getting ready to plant for crop year 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we'll be preparing the grounds literally as as soon as harvest is over. Uh, it's kind of no rest for the wicked mm. as, far as, the, as far as the farm guys are concerned. Yeah, I did. I think I heard on one of your videos that it was like literally 24-7 mm. work. Like it's, yeah. No, I, no I was actually going to ask, speaking of the videos, that's, that sort of started... Did that start during lockdown or has that been along? I've heard about um, the videos or the YouTube channel Very good. over the last few weeks. Um, is that is that what what made you guys sort of start doing that? Well, we always we've always liked to kind of lift the curtain a little bit, give people a bit of a, an insight into what we're doing. Um, but we usually harvest is, is such an important time for us. We we usually hold a huge celebration. We have our hop and brew school Um uh, like seminars and events in Yakima. Mm-hmm. We usually have all of our brewery partners come to Yakima to do their hop selection and COVID just threw a towel over all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we put our heads together and we were like, okay, how can we, how can we bring the Yakima experience to people that can't come to Yakima this year? And that's, and that's where virtual harvest came from. Um, and yeah, we, we kind of, within the, the various teams around the world, we, we put our heads together. We came in contact with, uh, got in touch with, with some of our favorite brewers, um, brewed some trial beers, brewed something special, got, uh, just the right things into the right people's hands and came up with a, a month long celebration of, of everything that we do really. Mm. Um, and that was, that was, like you said, that was all live, um, through hopandbrewschool.com, but is now on our, the YCH YouTube channel as well. Mm. And we've got, as of the beginning of this week, it's all available in one playlist as well. So you can chronologically watch a month's worth of hard work in, <laughs> Not not an afternoon, but in, in a day or so. <laughs> it's interesting because like I think the first exposure we had to uh, Yakima was Cloud Waters. Um, mm-hmm. Was it last year they did that? They did the project where they did so. all the single hot beers. Yeah, so they've um, Paul Paul's done a couple of a couple of trips out to Yakima now, um, and yeah, last uh, from the from the crop year nineteen, he released yeah this incredible series of uh, his. So that's going back to selection. That's his selected lots as well. Mm. Um, kind of detailing his his time spent out in Yakima. Actually, there, um, kind of the the final kind of culmination of that series has just been released. Actually, mm. right. Okay. Yeah, I think I've sort of seen a couple of them. But the the videos are like it's cool because you obviously as a as a beer drinker you hear about their experiences, mm. um, <laughs> and it was interesting. The videos I think are really great and highly worth checking out because it kind of brings that experience to everyone. Like everyone kind of gets to have what would usually just be for mm. brewers. So it's a really good deep dive into the process a lot more for people that have always been interested, but maybe aren't in the position to be able to either travel out or aren't brewers and don't, you know, don't have a real reason to do it. I mean, that's, that's great to hear. Cause that's literally what we were trying to do. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm chuffed to hear that, and, and my <laughs> colleagues in the states will be as well. Hey. Yeah, no, definitely, it's really cool. It's really cool to see. Yeah, def- definitely produce more. Yeah, <laughs> do some yeah, more videos. We, we've we're quite into it, so yeah. I don't think I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, so Our we're on to Idaho Seven. Which I'm, I'm interested in. Do you want to explain, yeah, Idaho Seven? What's what's Idaho Seven? Idaho Seven is a is a completely unique hop. I absolutely adore it. Um, so Idaho Seven was developed by a guy called Nate Jackson with uh, Jackson Hop, and it's he's in Idaho. Funnily enough, with the name, <laughs> um, but he he basically he's been he was cultivating this this for a while on a on a relatively small scale and it just started to develop some really incredible characteristics and the like the viability from a purely agricultural standpoint it's i just haven't grows incredibly well mm. um so it's it's really good for the farm and and yeah so nate um nate first released ido7 in 2015 i believe and um and it's been kind of a a little, a little unsung hero. It's, mm. it's not the most widely used hop, but if you get a brewery using it, there's a fair chance they'll come back and they'll come back. Um, Cause it just, for me, it does something that, that there isn't really any other hops that do it kind of, it ticks, it ticks a lot of the boxes that you can get with, with something like mosaic, but it just has mm. 
it just has something else mm. and um so nate is uh nate's nate's his own grower as well um he's he's one of our allied growers so we do a lot of work with him um but he recently so from from last year he's basically brought ido7 into our uh yakima chief ranch's mm. management program so um it's it's now we treat ido7 the same way that we treat uh like citra mosaic and simcoe mm. as like it's 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 what is one of ours it's something that we're we're really proud of and um and yeah like i said i just i love it as art mm. i feel like i've seen it kind of everywhere like i don't know like i think obviously when was it last year or the year before that we saw i know seven come over here probably within probably within the last 18 months or so yeah. um it's started to get a bit more usage in europe um mm. Like I said, it's been it's been a bit of a cult favorite for a while, mm. um, but yeah, with with a few breweries really kind of picking up on it, um, yeah, I just think it's incredible. You mentioned about so that idea of you've got your your your, your strains of hops or variety of hops, and you mm-hmm. kind of keep them in house and you bring some in. Do you sort of trade with other companies as when you're doing that? Like, is there sort of a almost like a a deal of we've got this hop? Would you like to have some of it? Or is that a rare thing that happens? So there's there's not there's not many hops in the world that are completely owned by one person. Mm-hmm. For example, um, you've got so Simcoe that we tried before. Um, Simcoe, the cultivar code on Simcoe is YCR14, and that's um, the YCR is Yakima Chief Ranches, mm-hmm. uh, which is it was set up by three of our grower owners, and it's it's like the head of Yakima Chief Ranches is one of our growers, Jason Perrault. Um, he's the the head of our breeding program. And so we're, we're the only people that, that grow Simcoe because it's, it's Jason's product effectively. Um, but then we're also with 50% of the hot breeding company. So anything that you see released with an HBC code. Um, so it's, it's some of the big hits is like Citra Mosaic, Laurel, um, Sabro, which we'll try in a minute, uh, Pato Equinot and the, the new hop that we released actually, what maybe six weeks ago now called talus mm. um as well so those are those are hop breeding company owned hops mm-hmm. and we're not the only people that have access to them but we're we're 50 of the hop breeding company basically right okay that's cool yeah so you do you collaborate with um brookhouse is it what it's called brookhouse yeah so so brookhouse are brookhouse there's some guys that we, we work really closely with yeah um they uh they're one of our distributors in the uk mm. Um, and they're just, they're just really cool guys. I mean, like as much as, as much as we've got kind of the, our own growers and, and things like that, and the people that we work with, we've got grower friends in a lot of parts around the world, even if we're not working directly with them because we're an American hot company. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we do, but to have, have friends in, in the English hop in, in Germany and in like Australia, New Zealand and stuff like that's really important. I mean, yeah. I keep I keep going back to the fact that at our heart we're farmers mm-hmm. and we want to talk agriculture with other farmers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that. There's it. I mean, from watching the videos on YouTube as well, it's just it seems like a big family. And I mean, I, lo- mm-hmm. I know that a lot of families work on the farm, so it's there's a nice feel, a nice community feel as comes with beer. Um, yeah. I've been smelling them kind of next to the Simcoe in the bags anyway, 
And at first when I smelled Idaho 7, I didn't think I could smell a difference. I don't know about you, Bradley. I, I mean, I was going to say I, it felt like Simcoe was more pungent at first, than yeah. I mean, 7. obviously it's been open for a bit now, but... But I mean, even when we just opened it, I felt like that smell really hits you, whereas yeah. the Idaho 7 seems a little bit more subtle. For me, it's just this incredible balance of really, really high-hitting tropical fruit yeah. and, like, black tea is a is mm. a big thing that I get, like, um, yeah. I didn't like, think that until I read that, and then I was like, that's kind of the weird kind of, um, I want to say earthy, it's mm-hmm. got a kind of earthiness to it. And yeah, like I says, it's way more resinous. You can, it, it smells moist. It's danker. Yeah. Uh, I will use that yep. word. Um, <laughs> and this one's uh, 12.5% um, alpha acids. Yep. I feel like it would be more. I don't know why. It's the resinous. Do you want to have another, nope. another go, Bradley? Because I just can't stop going. <laughs> it's very pleasant. Yeah, I expect... I expect big things with mm. with Ido Seven over the next couple of years. It's um, yeah. yeah, it's if only for the fact that I'm a huge fan of it, <laughs> I, and I will be shouting about it forever. <laughs> what breweries in the UK are currently using it? Did you say sorry? So um, there's a few people. A few people have done some things with this. So Cloudwater did one of their single hop series was with Ido Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, there is I'm trying to think of some things that we've done recently. So. If anyone tried the double IPA that we brewed with track machinations, um, that had Ido 7, that also had Sabro in it as well. Mm -hmm. And um, some of our HBC trial hops in there as well. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's not the most widely used variety at the moment, um, but certainly from 2019 crop, which is the, where we're coming to the end of now and the the 2020 crop, uh, there's going to be more of it available. So mm. uh, hopefully <laughs> you will see more brewers using it because, um, yeah, it yeah. does it does offer something pretty special. Yeah. Should we open it? Yeah, I'm looking forward cryo. to seeing what the cryo version... I love how we're how it setting changes all these up. It. <laughs> okay, right. It smells more like citrusy when it's in cryo. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> You're like, yeah. Idaho, Idaho Cryo, for me, it takes on a real life of its own. Um, like it's got all of those, all of those beautiful kind of tropical pungent mm. hits in there as well. But it's just, it's lifted to a whole other level um, in the cryo form. Yeah, that's why I wanted to make sure I managed to get some of the cryo to get <laughs> on this one. Thanks. Yeah, the difference between that. Is, let me try both together because I definitely, I don't know what I was expecting. This is so different to like um, smelling different beers, obviously, but like, I don't know. It's a lot harder. Yeah, they're, they're massively different. That fruitiness on the cryo one really okay. sort of screams out. You know yep. why though, don't you? Yeah. Because lupulin. 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 Right, I'm going to get there. Well, the rest of our episodes are me trying to pronounce Belgian words. So I do thoroughly enjoy on the back. It gives you a location and which grower. That's cool. Yeah. So we got Mike Smith and uh, Doug Weathers on these two. Yeah, a little bit of our, a little bit of our grower owners and a little bit of their history right. on, our, on our small packs as well. Yeah. So again, it's in texture. It is a lot fluffier, mm-hmm. slightly darker, but not as much of a difference than the Simcoe was in form. Mm. But yum. 
That and is. I just smell it on the. You may. I'm just take those out. Can we? Feel like can we taste affects. them, or is that not something <laughs> that you'd do? You can. <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, you're, you're welcome to Phoebe. <laughs> Wonder if, um, you if, if you're going to do it, I would say make a make a hot tea with them if you're going to do it, and put some sugar in the tea because that twenty three percent alpha on that you're really going to notice that immortal. Oh yeah, and you don't like bitter anyway, or <laughs> bitterness anyway. Oh, that would be the yeah, that would kind of tip me over the edge. Yeah, that oh. that's really nice. Mm. Fresh mango and peaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me on the on the on the cryo palettes. And oh. you, our alpha acids have gone up to twenty three point four percent. I've I've been avoiding like the IPAs, but this is now making me just want to. You want something? Crack real. one open at what time are we? Two o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon or whatever. <laughs> it's perfectly reasonable, right? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> kind of smells like aftershave. I don't know. Why. Aftershave. Like in a very natural. I'd, I'd wear way. that. I would. <laughs> I was do thinking you, that. I was like, there's got to be a perfume. Do Verdant use Idaho 7? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Um, I think I think they have done some beers with it, but I'm not entirely sure uh, to what extent, to be honest. Okay. Mm. I guess that fruitiness is just making me immediately default yeah, to, well, like... Yeah, well, yeah, they're very hoppy tropical, that, aren't they? That kind of peachy creaminess in there as well. Yeah. Um, that's... Very reminiscent of other than IPA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is no bad thing for me. No. Yeah. <laughs> How long does it take for a like an experimental hop to become like a fully fledged official hop? So can talk through that fairly regularly actually, because we've <laughs> literally just released our, our latest one. Um but it's it's usually about twelve years. Um so uh, Talus, the, the most recent one, Talus has been in its elite trial phase for the last, like, the last few years, actually, um, people might know, it. you might have seen HPC 692 um, on beers, and if you've tried HPC 692, you know how wonderful it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and Talus is, Talus is the daughter of Sabro, actually, so it's, um, it's Sabro and one of our, kind of our breeding cultivars mm. uh, crossed to create create talus but yeah it kind of it will go from a single plant to um one of our one of our small lots and then it will go to a single row to a single field to a single acre um will progressively develop up and along those ways um have to test out whether it's really whether it's sound to grow on any kind of scale like it can be the best smelling hop in the world um mm. but if it can't take extreme changes in weather or if it's really susceptible to mites or powdery mildew then sadly that hop's never going to see the light of day um mm. because the the price of it at the end of it is just it's not going to be worth it and the the stress on the poor guys in the field um but um but yeah so it goes through goes through these stages when it gets up to like single rows and single lots like that then it'll go into local breweries or into our R&D brewery to test the viability in the final beer. Um, again, that's the stage when some hops will drop out. They can smell absolutely incredible mm. on the vine and then in the beer, maybe not. Mm. Um, so go through stages like that and then it will go to brewers further afield to get their, their feedback on it. Um, like our, our elite trials program is, is completely, it's a collaborative work with our brewing partners 
and to an extent with their customers as well. So all of the feedback that comes from the customers to the brewers to us gets fed back into the guys at YCR. Um, and that kind of helps steer the, the direction that the, that the hops go in their life cycle. Wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. Like it's a real commitment, um, especially, mm-hmm. yeah, like the whole experiment. Is there much like loss and wastage um, in that whole? Huge. Yeah, huge amounts, but it but it has to be, it has to be the end result has to be something that's that's viable mm. and good. Yeah. So it's kind of you can have one, you can have the other, uh, but having both at the same time. I mean, to bring to bring a hop to market, the the cost factor in that is into the millions, mm. um, and that's up until the point where we can first sell it. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of it has to be, but it has to be right because mm. if a hop isn't isn't right, then it's not going to have. It's not going to have the appeal to the brewers and it's not going to have the appeal to the customers. Um, so we have to be have to be that stringent, really. Yeah. And I guess um, you guys are quite like you're very sustainable. And um, even like the experiment stuff that doesn't go forward, it, it tends to be used as like fertilizer, doesn't it? Or like it kind of fertilizes the next crops. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like sustainability is one of the absolute cores of, of what we do. Um, so if something if something isn't viable like purely from an agronomic standpoint then then yeah absolutely it will be that we turn into mulch and that gets that gets used further down the line um if that you know there's there's ways to to work with with something that isn't kind of viable at the end of it i mean we got we got hit pretty badly by windstorms this year Mm -hmm. um so so crops are crops are down for things during that that harvest window and like that when when hot binds hit the floor, there's really not a huge amount you can do with them. Um, the entire hop industry is based on using top cutters and bottom cutters to take mm. things from the bind. Um, so it, it has to be, it has to be used. It has to be recycled. It has to be kind of go back into the fields because the, the land in the Pacific Northwest as a whole, but specifically in Yakima, like that's the reason why these hops are as they are. It's the reason why the American craft beer boom happened because of those flavors and we have to we have to look after the land and we have to protect it um mm-hmm. because otherwise there's there isn't any new hop development there isn't um it just yeah you just you just lose the presence if you have you can grow cascade anywhere in the world but uk cascade doesn't taste like cascade mm. new zealand cascade spanish cascade it's all it's all different it's the same genome of the plant but mm. the the terroir is completely different yeah, well, that was actually like one of the questions we had from um, uh, a listener slash friend of the podcast, Kelly. She said, "Is it possible to grow um, the US varieties as flavoursome in the UK?" And I guess you kind of answered that. She kind of said Citra specifically, in a way. You could you could grow Citra in the UK, uh, but it wouldn't taste like Citra from Yakima. Ooh. Oh, okay, that's, go, that's the long and short of it. It's um, it's it's weather, it's soil, it's the just it's all of the environmental factors that the difference between it's this, the same as growing wine grapes um mm. what you can grow in bordeaux is not what you can grow in kent yeah mm, yeah well, i think paul jones was saying stuff like that um well, it's one of the most yeah. fertile one of the things i learned about you guys was it's obviously in one of the most fertile places on mm-hmm. earth and obviously you can't just pick you can take the hops out but you can't just suddenly take the you know the environmental thing you've got going on like that's so unique to that one location mm. yeah it's that's that's exactly it mm. that's the the fundamentals of everything is the the valley is it's the heart of everything yeah. and and it doesn't 
what we do there wouldn't work anywhere else in the world. I was I was going to ask about have there been any do you know of any like really good potential hops that were so close to getting out into the world that just for one reason or another they weren't viable it just didn't work out in the process that you wish or the company wishes could have could have been there 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 will almost certainly be 50 like right. just just straight away and if you if you spoke to people within our breeding team that's that's usually the stage where they wouldn't quite make the cut and it's it's usually things that never quite made it outside of the R&D brewery so you had one vine or like one short stack or something like that so it's it's removed from the process way before we've ever got to it mm. um but there's it's a similar process everywhere in the world i mean there's there's a lot of incredible uk varieties that are being resurrected at the moment because the breeding programs in the 70s and 60s were basically putting striking hops out because they were too characterful mm. too much citrus character too much fruit character and they're all being revisited over mm. the past like five ten years yeah. um and and yeah there's some incredible stuff happening there and it's the same same in germany as well right yeah well that's the thing isn't it because uh over here we use them just to preserve when we were sent shipping mm-hmm. them off um so yeah they weren't really used for the kind of aroma and taste really I, st- I still love how there's you know i always thought of it as just you know here's some farmers and you know they sell them on but like the lab aspect to it mm. is something i'd never really thought about when it came to growing science. hops <laughs> the science yeah yeah our, our sensory team are absolute heroes um <laughs> it's a a tireless process mm. to be honest they've done like hundreds if not thousands of like sensory tests on everything in the last month alone so that's uh <laughs> and here's me going oh my nose i'm like so full of <laughs> so much hop in my nose right now <laughs> don't think i'd be cut out for it no <laughs> <laughs> um if we talk about before we go into the sabro um kind of growing growing methods so i know that mm-hmm. uh chemo is very much inland um mm-hmm. and you've got that's kind of what is needed i tried to grow a hop in my living room a hop and nothing happened i was so gutted um there are you know there are specific ways in planting and things like that but i was watching one of the videos and it's all kind of hand done is that like it's all like you've got to guide the vines up the strings yeah. and stuff is that right did you want to kind of talk about the the growing methods essentially yeah i mean you you basically you you, you yeah. do have to do that i mean we so we we plant from rhizome so we plant from um from plant matter basically rather than seeds because it's just it's more viable to do it that way Mm. um but but yeah like the the binds have to be they have to be hand trained to to get onto the onto the cords so if you need to if you need to grow hops evenly which to get the most out of it you do you do need to train them i mean they're they're a wild product uh at the heart of it they're a they're a creeper yeah so they will they will grow left and right and and absolutely everywhere mm. um and it takes a, a really specialist hand to to train them to grow evenly and in in effectively in a commercial fashion so yeah. like it's um far be it from a lot of just kind of the the manual labor in in many farms i mean i don't have a huge amount of uh of understanding of how it w- would work in different industries mm. but certainly these guys are some of the most skilled workers that we have is our, our farm hands they're yeah. like it can take years and years to 
develop the skills that they've got and you know these guys are they're absolutely worth their weight in gold yeah how um how how long has the sort of the hop side of the farms how long have they been in the valley like all these all these areas so the oldest the oldest family farms are from they're from the 1860s um like within within our generations yeah um so we've got we've got some of the some of the family farms uh, into their like six seven generations like yeah. comfortably going up. We've got like three or four generations of many of our of our growers there. But um, but it is it's it kind of it comes back to the Oregon Trail basically. It's yeah. like it's a it's an old settler tale basically of trying to find this incredibly fertile land up in the valley and. Um, and yeah, we've got we've got a lot of our growers who also grow fruits or grow vegetables and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some some farms that yeah they made that switch over to hops 100, 150 years ago, and it's like it's it's no looking back from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the traditions it's it's generations. It's like the entirety of the Western influence on on that part of of America is farming and agriculture. And then I guess the start of the kind of the start of the, you know, the, the actual company, when yep. did that sort of like come into things? Like when, when did that sort of come about? Did the farmers kind of get together to create this or did someone else come in to sort of? So it was, it was a bit of a, it was a realization in the late eighties. So it was, um, pardon me, in, in 1988, uh, three of our growers, we had the, the Peralts, the Smiths and the Carpenters. Um, they got together and they, they hatched what would become YCH mm-hmm. basically um, as a way of farmers working together in a cooperative manner to enhance the crop, mm-hmm. enhance the the ability to, to put money back into their farms for development as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, what is now YCH officially became into, into existence in 97 um, when we were at hop union back in the back in the times um and and yeah the, the network's just kind of grown from there basically we're we're now up to 17 grower owners in that in that network and a much wider variety of allied growers that we work for under the exact same terms that we work with our grower owners it's interesting here because you know how the sort of the dynamic plays between the farmer aspect and the business aspect and obviously it's all all one and the same by the sounds of mm-hmm. it, but interesting how that kind of changed from just some people, you know, producing hops and fruit and veg to we need to think of this seriously if we're kind of branching out into the rest of the world, basically. Well, it's historically hop hop farming is not an industry where people get paid particularly well, for for want of a better term. Um, the the history of of hop selling is negotiant merchants buying hops very cheaply and selling them very expensively and it's not it's not a sustainable model for the farmers themselves and that's that's the biggest difference really between a a grower owned company and a hop merchant effectively is um is the, the kind of the return to grow aspect so we of our everything that we sell for we have near enough 80% of the profits of the, not the profits of the, the cost of it goes straight back into our farming network. Um, and that, that funds the development. It funds the research. It funds our sensory team. It funds incredible farm hands. Um, 
it funds new products like cryohops pellets, um, all of these kind of things. They wouldn't exist were we not able to do that, basically. And um, and yeah, it's just it's a bit of incredible foresight by by these guys in in the late eighties, early nineties uh, to basically see where the craft beer movement and the craft beer industry in America was going and the global reach of it and kind of say, well, if we need to create the best products for these guys, we need more money to reinvest. We need to be able to pay our families. We need to be able to put money back into the land. And, and yeah, that's, that's where the co-op came from. I think I saw about in regards to UK, um, people who are like, I think this must have been in like the 50s, 60s. They are going and um, harvesting hops was like a little holiday for like Mm -hmm. the Londoners. They'd like, the whole family would just go and harvest hops and it would be a little little trip to the countryside. Go for a a picking day down in Kent, absolutely. (laughs) I found that quite cute. There were some really good pictures. I might have to put them on social. Sabro is a complete change of pace mm-hmm. uh, from from the other guys we've had. So Sabro is from a, a different genetic heritage mm-hmm. from from most of the Humulus lupulus mm-hmm. hops. So Sabro is a, is a Neo-Mexicanus hop, um, which is a domesticated wild hop from America, um, funnily enough, from <laughs> New Mexico, as the name would suggest. Yeah. Um, but just the the Neomexicanus uh, heritage on there, just it does something that no one ever really thought we were going to get those kind of flavors in hops. And um, and yeah, Sabro Sabro came out a couple of years ago and just changed the landscape. Mm. It's um, it's I a think... Marmite hop. People yeah. love it. Or yeah. they hate it. I was about to say that I didn't know whether I was getting it confused with Strata. Um... Yeah, I keep hearing. I think oh, it depends how you work with it. In my opinion, I think we, we tend we tend to love it, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Every time we've had a beer with Sabro, the pellets. So is, is it just that they've come out smaller, or are these the other ones are quite long? Whereas these are a lot. The ones that have come out yeah, for us are a bit shorter. shorter. Is there any particular reason for that, or is that just the way that they've been cut? It will almost certainly be down to the different machine. Right. Okay. Um, but it's. Um, the different machines will be used at different points in the picking windows. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's part of the reason. Um, we have quite strict windows of when we harvest mm-hmm. um, within the harvest window itself. Um, so each variety has an optimum picking time, which is when our, our breeders and our sensory team and everyone, all the feedback from our brewers has said, that's when that hop tastes the best. How old is um, Sabro? Uh, so Sabro is when Sabro came out 2018 Sabro yeah. was commercially released this does smell very different yeah I mean I did again read the packet um I can definitely get those coconut um yep. scents for sure yeah like it kind of moves like it's in comparison lighter. to the fruitiness we just had on the last ones it's a lot lighter yeah yeah there's there's none of that none of that kind of dank resinous mm. piney traditional thing you don't get any of that in the Mexicanus. um it's all coconut and vanilla mm. instead which are like nutty flavors and and like sweet floral flavors are not they're not things that we were expecting to find in a green vegetable product effectively yeah. um 
but we're all pretty happy that we did. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's definitely those scents and flavors are definitely things I enjoy. So that explains why I like Sabro. Mm. I have a sweet tooth. So how, when you're planning an experimental hop, so <laughs> you're kind of putting the sciencey bits together, do you, do they know already what kind of characteristics are going to come out of them when they plant them? We we have the hope of it because mm. we're breeding them ourselves. So we're taking parent plants that has aspects of that that we like and aspects of that that we like. Mm. Um, so for Talus, for example, like that super, super pungent, tropical, slightly sweetness that you get with Sabro, we wanted all of that. Mm. But we wanted to try and tame down the vanilla coconut and the the parent plant that we've bred in with talus for example has kind of replaced a lot of that with uh with like dried petals like dried rose petals and violet and then just an absolute smack of pink grapefruit mm. um so it's you can kind of see that that talus is sabro's daughter but at the same time it's kind of it's entirely its own thing and that's it's very much done by design um with um with uh, Jason Peralt and, and his team over in YCR, the the work that they do is is very much it's we have an end goal in mind, so let's try and do this. Mm. Um, but it's not to say there only there's only one end goal, because I mean, the Talus, for example, is HBC six nine two, Sabro is HBC four three eight. So you know, there's that's in a two year space of time. Um, there's there's hundreds of, mm. of crosses and and works being done to try and find something interesting. I mean, we have in our in our elite trials program, we've got another four ops uh, going at the moment, and they're all very very different. Ooh, um, some very very exciting things in there. Um, cool. And yeah, all all completely different as well. What kind of combinations would you like to see? Um, I mean, Talus tick, it ticks so many boxes for me because um, I. I love the the really really pungent sweet tropical on Sabro, but Sabro, if if you use too much of it, it goes a bit too far for mm. my taste. It's it's one of the ones that it works beautifully in with something like Citra, mm -hmm. because it's got that that bright kind of pungent, slightly dank citric thing going in there as well, and then you put it together with this sweet tropical Sabro, it's beautiful. And, and yeah, Talos kind of hits that all in one hop. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm an absolute stickler for Simcoe mm -hmm. and like that speaks partly to when I came into the craft beer scene as well. Um, very much a dank resinous West coast IPA guy. Mm. Um, <laughs> so hitting those, those real big kind of passion fruity pine things on Simcoe with that slight, that slight bubble gummy, mm thing in there as well that some people pick up as being catty um it kind of depends how it how it's used and how it works in the lots and everything like that yeah that's that's where i like to go i mm. like to go right right we're kind of big and big and balanced but the the soft tropical things are great as well um yeah i don't know we're, we're spoilt for choice at the moment <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> um is there like what's going on with mosaic at the moment like I feel like it's disappearing. Is that right? It's mosaic still, it's still strong. It's still possibly the second or third most planted variety. Mm. Um, 
Citra obviously Citra is just running away. Yeah. Um, we've got like the last, the last like ten years has basically seen the high alpha uh, classic American sea hops slowly mm. drop down as Citra Mosaic are just up, up, up. Um, but Mosaic is is a tricky one. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people get a like an oniony garlic chive thing with it. Um, but again, it's it's down to the specific lots that brewers are choosing, the way that brewers are working with it. Some people really love that big green hip. Mm. Uh, some people don't like it at all. And you can mosaic's one of them versatile hops. So you can kind of work with it as you want it to be. It's um just has this beautiful kind of cantaloupe peachy thing in there, but at the same time has this huge dank chivey mm. thing in there as well. It just kind of depends how you want to use it. Yeah. Um but but it's it's been around for a few years now. Okay. And and people like the new and the shiny. <laughs> and um and that's that's it. Mosaic, it's it's in a lot of core beers. It's in a lot of beers that a lot of people are drinking all the time. Uh, but it's maybe not billed as the big the big shiny. Oh, in the same right. in the same way that uh <laughs> but it's just Citra will always be Citra. Yeah. From near enough the moment we released Citra, it was like, okay, this is gonna be this is going to be a big one. Yeah. Um, the the HBC knew fully well that Citro was going to be big. It just took a while to get it into the right people's hands. Mm. Um, people like Oakham in the UK really like pioneering that back in the day. Um, and and yeah, it's it's Mosaic's sitting into that same kind of position where everyone everyone knows and loves it. Um, but it maybe doesn't have the brand recognition as oh. as something like Citra. It's being forgotten. I feel like I miss it. I feel like I haven't. Seen it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You probably have had it, but as you said, it's not been billed as. Yeah, I mean, but you always the one on the. You do always tend to see Citra, like mm. yeah, like a lot. And I feel like for a while there, it was Citra and Mosaic or Simcoe Mosaic. Um, and now it's just where's Mosaic gone? <laughs> Bring it back. But uh, yeah, that was just like my own question. Um. I think a lot of people might want to know how do you name hops. So, it's a it's a very much dependent on the variety and stuff like that. So, um, a lot of the a lot of the inspiration for the ones that we release are things taken from the Yakima Valley and from the region itself. Um, and some things are down to like the description of the hops and stuff themselves. Like again, sorry to keep going on with Talus, but Talus. <laughs> Talus cones have a dimple in the middle of them, and there's in the in the mountains around around Yakima, there's a lot of like loose talus slopes, and you get these talus caves, and it's it's just this this great little dimple in the side of a mountain, and and that's that's one of the jump off points of talus as well, um, and it's but it kind of it's down to the it's down to the breeders, and it's down to the discussions through sensory and things like that i mean citra is incredibly well described mm. um there's no there's no mistaking where that name came from um but yeah it's a lot of it is is kind of traditional local words mm. that makes sense <laughs> do you have anything more you wanted to add um about yakima about just hops in general oh i don't know really there's a lot to um, them yeah there's <laughs> i mean could quite easily talk for for days I know, on, right? on, on various subjects but um yeah i would say if there's if there's anything that people are interested in checking out we mentioned it earlier 
um, on our YouTube channel. We've mm. got the entirety of our virtual harvest in there. There is days of of stuff on there. We've got some things from uh, my colleague Spencer in our technical team. So people really want to get into the the finer details of hop science. He's one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met. Um, you've got my colleague Tiffany has got loads of pieces from the sensory team in there as well. Um, obviously we've got our farm tours. We've got stuff from a lot of our owners, um, a few bits and pieces with me and the European team in there as well. Um, some stuff, if you want to find out more on Talus, we've got a, a really great piece in there with some of the brewers that we worked with in our launch. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of something for everyone. Thank you very much for Luke uh, for coming on and chatting with us and taking the time. We had to sort of rush things at the end there because uh, I had to head back to work, but it was definitely a great introduction into hops and we hope to explore this subject a little bit more in future. Um, some of the things we spoke about with him definitely gave me ideas of things we could do. However, we will be looking at the other elements, which are Phoebe, what are the sort of other areas of beer making that we're going to sort of look at over the next year or so? I mean, we're going to talk about everything, really, but uh, this series is focusing on the four main ingredients. So we've done hops, and then malt, mm-hmm. yeast, and water. Yeah. So if you are in the know of any of those areas, uh, please feel free to get in touch, because um, we want to try and speak to as many people, mm. different areas as, as we can. Um, but we hope this episode's been helpful, and you can take some of what you've learned today, and next time you're talking about a beer that has any of these hops in, or any of those <laughs> kind of characteristics, you can go, ah, yes. I have a piece of a thing I can say. Lupulin. That, yeah, that makes it sound like I know what I'm talking about, like I will be doing. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the High Hops podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find the podcast where all good podcasts lie. Please recommend us to a friend and give us a review. You can email us at hellohighhops at gmail.com and you can follow Phoebe on Untapped. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you and can. Uh, thanks again, Luke, and for the samples as well. Yeah. That was fucking awesome. We'll be back with part two of this, I guess, uh, or a companion episode, we should Bonus say. Bonus episode. Where we will be bringing in our our resident... Sensei. Sensei, beer sensei, Sam from Vessel, or as he will be referred to as Sam the Home Brewer, uh, where he's going to be talking to us about what it was like to actually brew with these hops and what difference they made to his homebrewing process over regular um his usual homebrewing yeah what, how would the difference these hops made over just using other hops from other places mm. anyway thank you very much for listening goodbye bye bye